I want to put up a picture here, see if any of you, you recognize this guy. And I want to one, ask you, did anybody have hair like this in the 1980s? Anybody have hair like that? Anybody have big hair in the 80s? Yeah, just a few of you. This is, uh, if you, know, you know who this is, Andre Agassi? This is Andre Agassi. And in 1989, he was uh, a tennis pro. I mean, he was kind of hot on the scene. And so he started starring in different commercials. And in 1989, in the midst of a camera commercial, he uttered three words that are now pretty famous. He said this. He said, image is everything. Image is everything. And with those words, he was really describing what Americans were beginning to feel in our culture, that that truly image was everything. Fast forward to 2008 there was a news story I came across out of Beijing. And it was around when the Olympics were coming. And one day, a man named Mr. Song Wei found a notice near his home. And the notice said this, in keeping with the government's request to rectify the Olympic environment, a wall will need to be built around this road. And so the next morning, we got a picture here, uh, police escort came and bricklayers came and they started to build a 10-foot wall around his house, around his businesses, and really around the whole neighborhood. I think we have the picture um, of the next slide. So you can see the wall that was built there. The government said, okay, you know what? We have all these tourists coming from, you know, the airport going to the beautiful new Olympic Stadium. We don't want them seeing all this kind of urban blight. So uh, we're just going to build a wall. And so to them as well, image is everything. And now in 2000. 21, I mean, we could say this, this phrase sums up our entire social media generation. Image is everything. And so we're constantly used to seeing manipulated, manufactured images, stuff that has been changed and transformed. And we've, we've gotten so deep into it, and we know this is the world we're living in now, that there's even a, a, a meme genre, basically like internet versus reality. So you have like, the left is the internet picture of what you're buying for your kid's birthday party, and then the right is, is the reality of what you get and what you look like at the party. Or you have this one on the left. Somebody paid $750 for, for the picture of these amazing shoes. And then they got them in the mail. And they were a little disappointed. Or you have this one. This is like, I relate to this one. You know, like tonight, families are going to take 100 pictures. And they're all going to look like the ones on the bottom. But there's going to be one, right? And it's going to be good. And then we will share the good one with the world. The one that, that looks pretty, that looks beautiful. And, and so, you know, this, this is the environment. This is our culture. And whether we like it or not, we are affected by our culture. You could say we are infected by our, our culture. And this desire to, to put forth the, the best foot, to, to show the, the greatest, most beautiful pictures. And so we touch up something here. We remove something there in our photos. You know, tonight... People are going to post pictures of fireworks and videos of fireworks. And nobody's going to post about the fireworks and the anger and the relationships inside of their homes, right? People want to post positive things, beautiful things. When we're online, we, you know, we, we, we support the people we think we're supposed to support. We post about the news articles that, that go with our group. And if we're supposed to be against somebody, we post against them because we want to signal to our group that we're with them and the other group we're against them. And we do all of this because we, we want the approval of others, we want applause from other people. We, we want 
to get their stamp of validation. And so we know what our world rewards, beautiful, productive, people who have it all together. And so often that's what we are tempted to, to put forward because we've been told day in and day out that image is everything. And this, you know, obviously affects us online, but I would say it goes even deeper. I mean, it goes into our workplaces, it goes into our homes, and as we're going to talk about this morning, can even enter into our spiritual lives. Because while this phrase was popularized in 1989, moving forward, this is something that, that people have been wrestling with and struggling with and doing for, for generations, really thousands of years, is believing this truth that image is everything. And we know this because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually pushes back against this idea, this idea that it infected the religious communities of his day. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, looking at some words of Jesus. Some words of Jesus as he, he talks about this. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he begins this next section in the Sermon on the Mount with, with one word, and that word is beware. Can you say that? Beware. Beware. The last time I saw that word on a sign was when I was hiking, and it said, beware, steep cliffs. And the sign was a warning. Hey, if you, if you, if you step off, you're, you're going to get hurt. So Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And I underlined this, this section, in order to be seen by them, because this is really the, the key phrase to have in your mind throughout this entire section in the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus continues thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he continues on here and he, he talks about prayer. He gives us the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer. He talks about how we don't have to come up with all these fancy words when we pray. God knows what's on our hearts. He just wants to talk with us, to have communication with us. And then he continues in verse 16 with this, with a, with a third piece of wisdom, a third example. He says, and when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here Jesus, he talks about three core spiritual practices, giving, praying, and fasting. Fasting. 
And if you're familiar with these, you might realize this. Jesus, he didn't, he didn't invent these. He didn't make these up. I mean, these were, these were part of, of the Jewish religion and, and culture for, for years. And so people were used to these things. But here Jesus, as he's gathered together, his followers is saying, look, I want my people to give, to pray, and to fast. And he doesn't say, hey, you know what? If you, if you feel like giving or if you, if you, know, if you want to pray tomorrow, or, you know, hey, if you ever get around to fasting, if you notice, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, because he's assuming these are things that his disciples are going to do. And he's assuming this, and he wants them to do this because he knows that it's through these practices that the Holy Spirit meets us and transforms us more and more into the people Jesus is calling us to be, the people that we see described in the Sermon on the Mount. And so he gives us these three core practices, but then, of course, he critiques them and people who are doing them in the wrong way. And so he starts with giving. And in their day, like in ours, I mean, we have these giving boxes, and in their synagogues and temples, they would have giving boxes as well. And they would give their tithes and their offerings, and they would all be pulled together, and they would go support people who were in need who had all sorts of financial needs and other things. So, I mean, we, we, we get that. And, and here Jesus isn't saying giving is bad. He's not saying giving boxes are bad. He's, he's not even saying, you know what, listing out people's names who've given is bad. I mean, sometimes we do that. Hey, this gift was in memory of someone. This gift was in honor of someone. Instead, what he's saying here is he's saying that some people have the wrong motivation. Some people have different heart intentions than he desires for us to have. He says, some people are giving in order that they might get applause and approval from other people and people might pat them on the back and say, wow, how spiritual is this person? They've gotten the why wrong behind the what. And I I, I get this. I get this because actually I used to do this when I was younger. At camp meeting I go to every year, um, it, it's a very rustic environment, and we have worship services there, sawdust floor, and they have these old tin plate uh, offering plates. And so whenever you put coins in the plate, what happens? It makes a clinking sound, right? So when I was younger, the plate would pass me by, and I, I wouldn't always have money, so I would, I would pass the plate, and as I did, I would flick the bottom of it so it would make a little sound. And you know, people behind me and around me would think, that is the most generous little kid. He loves God. He's going to be a preacher one day. His heart is so right, you know. I, I did it to impress them. I did it because I wanted the approval, the applause. I didn't want people to look down on me because I wasn't, wasn't giving. That's why I flicked the bottom of the offering plate. I didn't even give a token gift. I gave nothing. So I, I get that. And then he goes on to praying. He says, look, some people are are praying not, not because they want fellowship and intimacy with me, but, but they're praying for other reasons. And in, in their day, they would often pray at fixed hours. So say 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 3 p.m. And so usually, you know, you kind of knew where you would be around 3 p.m. And if you were in the synagogue or temple, you would pray. And oftentimes you'd pray out loud. And Jesus here isn't, isn't critiquing praying out loud or praying in public. Jesus did that. We do that all the time. But what would happen is some of these people would say, okay, Three o'clock. Three o'clock is the hour of prayer. Let me go to downtown McDonough and stand on the street corner and just pray out loud so everybody in traffic will see me and see how holy I am. 
people were, were setting themselves up in different positions so that people would perceive them a certain way. And Jesus says, don't, don't be like that. And then if it wasn't clear enough, he gives a third example about, about fasting. And if you were to do it in a modern day way, I mean, he, he, he would say, you know what? Some people are going to be at your barbecue tonight. And they're going to say, oh, no, I can't have any ribs. I can't have hot dogs. I can't eat any of that. I'm, and you're like, why, why not? And he's like, I'm fasting. I'm fasting for revival in America. We need it. Jesus is saying, look, don't be like that. Fast. Fast for revival. Fast for all sorts of reasons. But he says, don't fast in order that you might be trying to impress people or be seen a certain way. Instead, he says, fast in secret. And if you notice here in this section, as Jesus is giving example after example after example, when you're reading scripture, it's important to to, to look at things that are repeated over and over again. And one of the things that's repeated in this section is one word that Jesus uses to describe the three groups of people who are doing these things wrongly. And did you catch what the one word is he calls them? Hypocrites. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. And hypocrites is an interesting word because in Greek culture... Hypocrite was a word that meant someone who was on stage, who was a stage player or who was an actor. And so hypocrites generally wore big masks in their festivities and in their plays. So Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't wear a mask and present yourself as one way to the world while underneath you're someone or you're something different. If we put it in terms of last week, when Jesus was talking to people, we might could say it this way. Jesus is kind of saying to the people here, you've heard that it's been said image is everything, but I say to you, motivation matters. Jesus says, your motivation matters. Image isn't everything. What's underneath the mask counts. What's inside your heart counts. Don't just put on a show for other people. He says your motivation matters because when you're giving, not because we serve a generous God who has given generously to us and we are created in his image. He says when, when you're giving for other reasons so that you can be seen by others as holy or to win their approval or applause, he says really the people you're giving to are just a prop as you're building your brand. When you pray, he says if you're praying so that, that people might, might clap and, and celebrate you and, and think you are something special, he said don't be surprised when, when you keep wanting more approval and more applause and you're kind of feeling empty after it all. He's saying when, when you fast, your motivation matters because if you're fasting for the wrong reasons, you won't receive the rewards that he wants us to have, the rewards of, of fellowship, of intimacy with him, of, of blessings, of experience, the abundant life that he desires for us here. And now Jesus says, your motivation matters. Your motivation matters. And, and this, this, these passages, I mean, they can be a little, a little scary, like, like walking on the edge of a cliff because, I mean, at a level, we're all hypocrites in our own way, Right? We all present one image to the world while underneath we, we know sometimes there's other stuff going on. And so 
Someone tells us about a situation in their lives and we say, we'll, we'll be praying for you. But we don't pray and it's not because we forgot. It's because we, we just say that because that's what like church people are supposed to say. Or we, we serve because we just feel guilty or we want to like appease the people who keep asking us to do stuff. And so we're serving not because we want to invest in the next generation or, or serve other people because Jesus Christ has served us and called us to do that, but because of some other things. I mean, I mean, this passage is a little scary to me because what Jesus is saying here is that you can give, you can pray, you can fast weekly, you can serve, you can be on the worship team, you can be a volunteer in church every week, you can be a preacher, you can be a pastor on stage. But if your motivation isn't in the right place, if your intention isn't right, if your heart isn't directed towards God and you're doing these things for the wrong reasons, then you can actually be far from the kingdom. Even though others around may applaud and celebrate you. So what do we do? I mean, how do we not live as hypocrites and live as the authentic people Jesus calls us to. I think it begins by, by first remembering the truest things about us. I think it begins by remembering the truest things about us, remembering that we are created in God's image, every single one of us. We are created in God's image. We are loved unconditionally by our heavenly father. I think it means remembering that our worth doesn't come from what other people say about us or the approval or the applause we get, but our worth comes from him and who he says we are. I I think it begins as we remember that, that even if we don't pray and we don't fast and we don't give, that God still loves us the same, that there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world as a sacrifice for our sins. I think that's where it begins is remembering that we have God's approval and that's the only approval that matters. And that we are called not to live for an audience of others, but to live for an audience of one. That's what Jesus is telling us here. It starts with living for an audience of one. And our Heavenly Father loves us. And He desires a relationship with us even when we mess up and fall off the bandwagon. But then practically, Jesus, He he continues and He gives some practical wisdom. He gives us some practical things we can, can do to cultivate fellowship with God, to make sure our intentions stay pure. And that we're on the right track. And so uh, James Bryan Smith, he, he sums up Jesus' wisdom this way. He says, Jesus says that we are to have ignorant hands, secret places, and happy faces. It's a little cheesy, but I like it. He says we're to have ignorant hands, secret places, and happy faces. Jesus said, look, when you're giving, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so earlier I said, you know, they had giving boxes. A lot of people believe, the historians, that the giving boxes were on the right side of people when they were walking into 
the synagogues and the temples. And so here Jesus is saying, look, when, when you give, don't give for the approval of others, or for the sake of others, in order to be seen by them. Don't even give to impress yourself, to impress your own left hand. Have ignorant hands. And then he says, you need to have secret places in your life. Places where you can go, where you can go behind a door, where you can get away from distractions and you can pray and you can spend time with your heavenly father intentionally and without even the temptation of other people seeing you and applauding you. He says, have a secret place where you pray, where you can experience intimacy with God. And then he says, have a happy face. Have a joyful face when you're fasting. Smile, brush your hair, wash your face. You don't have to let anybody know. In church, when we do these things, when we're living out these practices Jesus calls us to, what happens is, is we meet him. We are transformed by him. And rather than being transformed by our, our culture, we are reminded of who we are, whose we are, and our motivation helps stay pure. And so my challenge to you this week is to choose an area in your life. Choose an area in your life. Maybe, maybe it's in giving. Maybe it's in praying. Maybe you've never fasted, you know. Probably not going to start tonight, but maybe next week. Choose an area of your life and put one of these into practice. Pray in secret. Give. Give generously. Maybe, maybe it's to someone at a restaurant in need without them ever even knowing. Fast. He says, do these things. And when we do them, we will encounter Jesus in a powerful way. So back to Andre Agassi. 1990, about a year after the commercial he shot where he said images everything, he was at the French Open and struggling a little bit because his hair was falling apart. Did y'all know it was a wig? Yeah. He released years later that, that it was a wig all of those years. So his wig was falling apart and he was stressed about it because he was like, I can't be seen without hair. Like, that's who I am. This is, you know, and, and so he was so stressed that at the French Open, he did terrible that year and he lost. But then a little while later, something happened. A little while later, he, he finally said, you know what? I, I'm tired of the wig. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it away, throw it away. And he began living with his, his, his bald head. And he said that once he took off the wig, he said, I never felt freer in my entire life. He never felt freer once he stopped trying to project an image to other people that he wasn't. And, and then actually, interestingly enough, he started winning championships like he never had before. His authenticity was rewarded. And I know, I, I know it sounds kind of odd, but, but as I've been reading his story this week, I've been thinking it's almost like a little, a little parable for us. God desires people who are authentic. People who aren't presenting another image to the world. God is telling us image isn't everything. He is everything. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. And when we seek him authentically and honestly, he promises us rewards. And he promises us that we 
will find him. We will meet him. And we will be blessed. So let's pray and ask that God might make it so in each of our lives. God, we've put up a lot of walls. We project a lot of images. We so often live for the approval of other people instead of resting in the approval that you've already given to each of us. God, help us feel your love today, to feel your affection, to know that you don't only love us, but you also like us and you want to spend time with us. And God, this week, help us to live as as humble people who, who are able to check our motivations and who are able to spend time with you and grow more and more into the people you want us to be. We ask all of these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing.